So, Umberto, Mike Drain, have you seen the movie Glass? Oh, yeah. Glass, indeed, I have. I saw it with you, Kirk. Uh, that's right. So let's talk about the movie Glass because there's a lot of psychological implications that the listeners might enjoy hearing us yammer about. What do you say? Yeah, I'm feeling let's the implications already. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda. I help people with too much mercury. <laughs> Who are you, Drain? <laughs> My name is Michael Drain, host of the Unpopular Culture podcast, professor, psychotherapist, friend, and... Uh, lover uh, Lover of lover. psychology in Seattle Oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> So Glass It's the third movie in a Quote-unquote trilogy From Unbreakable Back in, what, 15? 2000 2000? Uh, mm-hmm. It's cray-cray It was yeah. one of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's first movies Yeah, one I mean it, you know, His first one was Signs And then he followed no, no, it no. up with Unbreakable No, no, Sixth Sense Oh, Sixth Sense yeah. That's what I meant That's Yeah, what I meant. Yeah, and then he made Split Last year or a 2016? Couple, a couple years ago. That's one of the first podcasts you and I ever did together, Honda. Okay. Yep. And then he, at the end of Split, they reveal that Split and Unbreakable are on the same one universe, same universe. Them all. And so Glass was highly anticipated because a lot of people consider Unbreakable to be M Night's best movie uh, behind Sixth Sense, and mm-hmm. um, and then they there was a slow kind of nosedive that he did with his career yeah. over the years and then he made Split which was marketed not as an M. Night Shyamalan movie <laughs> to be fair he did The Visit first and that one was good you saw were you the one guy that saw that was what? that you I heard somebody saw that I did that was the one oh, okay I was just no, checking, yeah. but it was also not marketed as an M. Night I, when I went to see The Visit I just thought I was seeing like some sort of suspense thriller horror movie yeah and I enjoyed it. And then at the end, it says M. Night Shyamalan. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's the twist. twist. That was the twist. The twist is that it was, that was an M. Night twist. Shyamalan yes, movie. Yes. Yeah, okay. That's Got the it. one where there's like a spirit of a grandparent or, or the grandparents. Yeah, are. it's like where the kids go to visit the grandparents and something's not right. Yeah. And it gets even worse. I thought it was great. He, yeah, There was a little bit of a twist, but mostly he didn't rely on that. And it was just what he is so good at, which is those suspenseful moments and the like, like the seat of your pants. Seat of your pants is that the saying? Yeah. Is this saying in country? Seat of pants. <laughs> and then, uh, but so I watched it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And at the end, I'm like, oh, you might be back. Yeah. Because like you know, he had to slow roll it. <laughs> yeah. S- stars James McAvoy, Bruce Willis. Anya Taylor-Joy, Anya Taylor-Joy, Sarah Paulson, and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? Do you, do you know? <laughs> I think I know the answer, so my well, guess I, I would be... I don't know exactly, but I know roughly what it got. It's well, not what? great. It's not no. pretty. Well, the, No, but the users gave it a good rating. Did they? Yeah, but the critics got like 23? 36. Oh, 36. Yeah, it got 30. better, because at one point it was under 30. Yeah. Wow. So it's mostly panned. A lot of people don't like it. Even people who liked Unbreakable and Split are looking at Glass and saying that they didn't like it. But the user ratings and also outside of Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it was like, you know, three, four stars by a lot of people. There could be a lot of discongruency between the critic rating and the user, like, listener rating. Not listener. I'm in podcast mode. Like, viewer rating, right? (laughs) Right. And I, th- I mean, I would speculate that whenever you have a hyped movie, particularly when you have a movie by M. Night Shyamalan, I think you're going to get people piling on neg- yep. in negativity. It's similar to uh, other kind of phenomenon, you know, like um, 
episode eight was kind of that right. way. Yeah. Um, I think Bird Box was actually kind of that way. If if sure. if it wasn't uh, Sandra Bullock, if it wasn't hyped by Netflix, if it wasn't on Netflix, I suspect people would have liked Bird Box. People would have rated right, it, right, right. or they would have been like, "Yeah, it's fine." Yeah. But, but people hated Bird Box. People hated Glass, and I'm like, "Yeah." Well, one, what do you expect? It's an M Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, well, so out of ten stars, Berto. All right, so if I gave uh, The Sixth Sense, I would have given it probably nine stars. Yeah, I agree. For many reasons, right? Uh, I would have given Unbreakable probably eight stars. Yeah, I think me too. And I give this one seven stars. Okay. I gave Split, I would have given Split probably like seven and a half or eight stars. Okay. Drain? So Sixth Sense is his best movie, in my opinion, by far. And it's all been downhill from there. Unbreakable, you could argue, was a second. But it's a distant second, right? And okay. so, uh, yeah. And Sixth Sense was so masterfully amazing. I was working in a movie theater when I when that movie came out. It was so masterfully amazing. And I wouldn't even go in there and clean the theater when the credits were rolling because I was too freaked out. <laughs> and then and then you fast forward to Unbreakable, and it's like it, it, I just I think people are waiting for him to either fail or they're waiting for the they're waiting for him to like redeem himself. But that it, it's been twenty years, and I don't think it's gonna. Go back to six cents status. So, I would say compared to six cents, if that's the ten, I'd say it's probably like a five. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You went a lot lower. So, by the way, for me, uh, Unbreakable was excellent, excellent all the way up till the very last scene. Which okay, and, and it's the last scene that brings it down for me from like an eight five to an eight, and and actually, it's more like I'm averaging because. I'm averaging every second of the movie, and that last couple seconds is like a three or a two for me. It's a lot of work. It's when Morgan Freeman. Uh, Morgan Freeman. Oh my god! It's when Morgan Freeman <laughs> oh, tells. Oh my it's when Morgan god. Freeman tells Andy Dufresne, you, "You can run, Lola, run." Oh, no, uh, it's movie. when Sam Jackson says, "It was the children. They call me Mister Glass." <laughs> that scene was so over the top. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Scene. So that, that scene drove me nuts because I'm like, what? I mean, first of all, we got it already. Like, you just showed us the freaking montage. Like, you don't have to, like, then, like, and, and Sam, I love him in general, but that one scene, he, like, unfortunately, he was directed weird or whatever. It just overacted that line. It was the children that called me Mr. Glass. Oh, wow. I think you're doing it even better than he did. Uh, well, the, I, big, the big twist in Unbreakable was that he was a bad guy after all, right? Right. Yeah. Well, that, and, that Mr. Glass was uh, an arch villain. It, and right. He seemed to have been supporting Bruce Willis's character that entire time, like, sort of like helping yeah. to train well, him to be a superhero and just yeah, yeah help him be discovered. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and and at the time, Unbreakable. This is before the Marvel Universe totally. thing. It was at a time when hero movies were kind of a thing of the past. Sure. Yeah. And I remember minus Batman, I guess. Right? Well, I think X-Men, the first X-Men was coming out right around then. Okay. But not like now where you yeah. got a Marvel movie every six well, months. Well, th- this was what I loved about him at first, right? He comes out with the sixth sense and it's essentially, oh, sort of like a realistic take on ghosts. Right. And, and even without the twist, if you, had, you know, in fact, when I watched that movie the first time, I was, 
I was already super happy at the end before the twist revelation because I thought I had seen this like really subtle, interesting take on ghosts. And then they do the twist. I was like, what? I just got taken for a ride. And then with Unbreakable, I thought, oh, it's like, what What if superheroes were a real thing, right? And I was really digging into it, which is why I was so disappointed with Signs because I thought... You well, know, I, I oh, thought you liked Signs. No, I liked Signs. I liked... I liked seventy five percent of signs. I would have given it a an eight, and but because of the twenty five percent, the last twenty five percent, which I would have given a negative twenty thousand. Oh really? The net average for me for signs is like a three. But Umberto, swing away, swing away, Umberto, live. No, and that's exactly so. The the two key gripes of wrath for me with signs were number one. When I saw the previews and they had the 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 crop circles, yeah. I thought, "Oh, this is amazing! I can't wait to see what M Night Shyamalan says about like what is the realistic take on right. so just like he did with the first two. But then what he ends up doing is essentially, "Oh, okay, they're aliens. They come down. They look like aliens, and they're abducting people." So that already like put me off. But then the contrivance oh, of the whole thing. So, so true. Oh! Yeah. Uh, it's the same offense as uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know how yes. they mixed? Yes. They mixed like mystical religion with aliens. It's, it's like oil and water. And I, Signs kind of did that too. I don't even know what that Indiana Jones movie was that about. That was a like, total like, dumpster I, fire. I, I watched it. I remember when it wrapped up at the end, I'm like, <laughs> what so, see? so what? Like, I remember just being so confused. Uh, um, I, I gave it a 6.5. I think I might have even liked it better than the... What number did you give? Seven? For which one? For... for Unbreakable? Uh, no, for... Oh, for this one? Glass. For Glass, I, I'll give it a 7. Oh, okay. Hmm. So I, th- I like... I, at first I gave it a 7, and then after talking with Drain after the movie, uh, he he dogged it down, so I brought it down to a 6. Um, I'm curious, because I want to fight it out. Because yeah. for me, I, I liked the experience. I... I I almost like Unbreakable better than Sixth Sense, especially for its wow. re- rewatchability. Okay, I mean Sixth Sense you can't really watch again unless you're curious about things. Plus, I'm not you know Sixth Sense is arguably like horror light, and I'm not a horror. That's not your genre. That's not my thing. But Unbreakable at the time came out right. I was pro. I was probably like at the just the perfect age at the perfect time because it's like. I like hero movies. I like comic books. I like that kind of storyline. Right. I like a different take on it. It made sense to me, and it was subdued enough that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like uh, Bruce Willis's character David Dunn was <laughs> like this super awesome Batman. He flies and <laughs> yeah, he, he's just tough. And when he touches people, and he can't die, but he has like water. Like it just, it just poetically made right. a lot of sense to me. Well, like in the scenes where they're discovering it with his son, it's like, oh, okay, put another plate on and stuff like that. Like, yeah, oh, that, that was cool, cool, you know? It's yeah. cool because he's such a reluctant hero, yeah. I think yeah. is what's fun yeah. about it. And back then, Bruce Willis actually acted, which uh, he doesn't <laughs> do anymore, even in this movie. Um, and so with Split, I really like Split, except for the end. Yeah. And because up until the last scene where, or the last... Uh, confrontation when the horde is bending bars and like you know climbing on the ceiling like like a spider right. essentially i was i was like oh so he's a he's one of those like the one thing that berto and i have talked about in the past that i don't like about here movies is uh thor wonder woman superman e- seemingly even aquaman 
These people are gods. Totally. You, yeah. They can't die. They right. can't be hurt. Right. And what's the fun in that? There, there's no fun in that. Yep. And, and so I'm like, it's just like when they're fighting, when I see Thor fighting something, I'm like, <laughs> I've okay. already, I already know that Thor cannot die. Yeah. The only thing you can do is annoy him or right. occupy his time. Right. <laughs> and so, and that's why the old school uh, Superman movie, the, the first, the one with Christopher right. Reeve is so good because... They subvert that by Lex Luthor is going to hurt humans, yeah. and Superman cares about humans. Right, right, right. And this is the big this is the big uh, argument against the DC movies. Is it's like they're making it between the heroes instead of making it about something that's more relatable or something that's more vulnerable, you know. And so with uh, with with uh, Split. All of a sudden, I was it just up until that point I was like oh this is kind of interesting and then I said oh he's he's a god you know he's he's like that one of those people and then in glass M Night basically reversed that whole thing and made you question maybe these people actually have no powers at all which I really appreciated that as right. that was happening on the screen I was like. Okay, because now we're bringing it down to earth. Right. Now it's like, okay, this this could be a real situation. Are they delusional? Are they? Do they right. have powers? We don't know. And I thought he did that really well. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I I enjoyed it for that reason. So you liked uh, Glass better than Split? No, I oh, like okay. Split better than Glass because Split. Well, it's Split's a very good story, and James McAvoy. I can awesome. watch. I can watch him be this character. Yeah, in, all of the characters. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, in both movies. I mean, right. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Watching him, like M. Night had this masterful scene, a couple of them, but there was one where it's a single shot and the camera kind of pans. And each time it pans back to James McAvoy, he's a different alter. Yeah, right. And you're totally, con- I was totally convinced that was a different character. Totally. Yeah, I, I think in this movie, in Glass, uh, he obviously, well, not obviously, but I, I felt he overused it a bit. Not McAvoy did the best he could with it, but I mean, the script overused it a little bit. And because in, in the first one, you had enough time to really see, wow, that is, that is, that's a different person. Like, that is a different person. In this one, there's so many times where they start blending together, and then yeah. you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. You can do the trick. Like... Let's pull back a little bit. <laughs> I think the crux of this was probably when the scene when he's in the room and they, so, and this is the, a whole other thing flash. I want to get into, but the flash, flash! And he would like switch personality. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that in the psychology. What's the budget of the movie, Berto? What do you think? Uh, okay, so this cost him 60 million. 20. Wow. That is on the cheap. That is very cheap. <laughs> How much has that made so far? Just after, you know, three, uh, three or four weeks. It's made 50. 167. Wow. Nice. Yay, okay. M. Knight. Yeah. So, so your criticisms can go suck a duck. <laughs> well, so this, this tells you something, that uh, to business people, producers who finance such things, uh, that's all they see. They don't care what the, crit- the critics think. They, don't, yeah. they just like, this, what, was a 800% increase in return or whatever? And you finance both, I, I'm pretty sure, The Visit split and this one right so it it doesn't really matter what the critics think all you have to do is look at those numbers and go like it was a success yeah and in an age of user ratings where we can just rate anybody on youtube or whatever uh itunes or whatever how relevant is the role of a critic right anyway right right especially when the the user rating was so much higher yeah Yeah. because they're always so 
uncongruent sometimes. You'll have critics dump on a movie and it's awesome. The users yeah. loved it. So what is the critic doing right. there anyway? Well, I th- I like critics and I find that when I uh, because I want to know prior to like I won't see some movies because like the new uh, Holmes and Watson movie with right. John I didn't C- see that one. John's had really low. Yeah, John C. Riley, Will Ferrell. Two of the most funniest people, and in movies when they're together, they're hilarious. Right. I mean, late at night, I'll just watch Talladega Nights like from <laughs> beginning to end because it's just a hilarious movie. The whole movie is hilarious. Right. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen is the the French ra- rivalry because, and of course, he's gay, you know, and right. and it's just funny and i thought this movie is going to be they were in Step Brothers together yep. which is also a movie i'll put oh, yeah. on late at night love it and i just thought of course this movie and but the critics gave it like 30 percent. and there's no reason why critics would hate on them because they're kind of critic darlings to mm. some extent you oh know yeah I mean? okay. they're not m night Shyamalan. so for the critics to give it 30 percent, it must not be very funny interesting hmm. i mean i'll probably end up watching it anyway by the way just think about that because, you know, we can get into the things I didn't like and I'm sure you didn't like about the movie. But imagine a movie like Glass with a $20 million budget and you're sitting there in your critic ivory tower and you're like, because just think about that movie. So much that happens, all these things. You're like, eh, 30. I'll give you 30%. <laughs> yeah. Do they have any kind of assessment? There's some no. Kind of structure to no. how they're gauging this 30%? No. They just pull that out of their ass. Yep. I see. <laughs> no, no, of course not. They're, like they all have different criteria. Some of them are better. But I'm I don't saying, know. I'm asking. I'm saying here's no what: idea. there is no. There, I, I've never seen it be like. Okay, let me put it this way. Remember when uh, all of you all hated Justice League and all of y'all hated Batman versus Superman? Still and all do. These things? Okay, you guys are spoiled brats <laughs> because you'd be lucky to get a movie a hundredth of the quality of those movies twenty years ago. And now you're like, well, I want every movie to be like Inception. How so? And you mean as far as like special effects? Everything. Uh, every single aspect of those movies. Yeah I, yeah, I totally agree. If you watch Superman 2 or 3, for example, <laughs> even Superman 1. Yeah. Like the Michael Keaton Superman, 1989. Oh, you're thinking Reeve. of a wrong franchise. Oh, oh. You're thinking oh, of Batman. I'm thinking Batman. Yeah. Sorry. But even bad. early Batman, honestly. Yeah. Like... There are if you, if you if you really just watch it like what if this movie or you know if you update the CGI a little bit yeah if this script and this style came out today it's so much more naive you, it's it, so much more yeah yeah clunky scenes Star Wars is a good example everyone everyone can remember Star Wars Empire and you know right Return of the Jedi. Uh, there are scenes in Empire Strikes Back, which is considered to be one of the best movies yeah, of yeah. all time, particularly for Star Wars people. There are some scenes in that movie that are horrendous. The scene where they enter the the space slug and the Minox is so dumb. It's really out of the way too for the story. It's like, so dumb. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. and and if my they, feelings are getting a little hurt, but yeah, <laughs> and the Ewoks thing. Okay, so when, once we go to return, I'm all with you. Which has taken me years to process. I used to really have a hard time agreeing about return having deficiencies but nowadays i'm on i'm on the return needed help train yeah that's the first star wars movie i ever saw by the way was return of the jedi really can you imagine how out of order it all felt that's weird <laughs> really crazy yeah love nub 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 that is what oh my god so quick aside recently no that's no longer in the movie i hope you realize no that's no longer in the movie they took it out? That that new updated version he made a few years back, 
that ending is no longer part of the movie. They don't play Nub Dub anymore? No, they do not. What? They play some other dumbass music that doesn't even line up with what they're playing, the Ewoks are playing, because they needed to show Coruscant and all the fireworks and Naboo and all that bullshit. And at the end, the ghost of Anakin is the young Anakin. Yeah, oh, I knew that. that. Yeah. And you're waiting for that last... Dum da dum da dum dum da dum da dum da dum 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 da 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 right like the best ending of all time. No, that best ending of all time. That doesn't happen. Hayden Christensen rocking on an electric guitar. One of the best audio climaxes of all time. That doesn't happen. I mean, obviously, that's yeah. Why, Lucas? Why? No one appreciated it. No one needed it. No one wanted it. Why? Well, before we get well, into we digress. Before we get into <laughs> yeah. uh, the good and bad of the movie, let's get into psychology about it. Yes. So let's, let's talk about the hospital, the <laughs> mental health hospital. Arguably, seventy percent of the movie takes place in this in this psychiatric hospital. Yeah. Drain, you've worked at a psychiatric hospital. How accurate was the depiction? Uh, well, let's quantify this. I'd say like three out of ten. Accuracy, 30%, let's call okay. it that. There were floors and walls. There were, there were floors, floors and, and walls. walls, yeah. And they did call it a hospital. And they had uh, flashlight therapy. Yeah, no, that's not. <laughs> see, that's a, so that's something that's interesting. Okay, so, all right, let's focus up. Uh, yeah, there was like two staff members there for the whole hospital. Right. One of the guys was outside. The camera right. systems made no sense whatsoever. If half, if, if even some of that stuff in a forensic hospital like that went down, there would have been a SWAT team on top oh of them God. in like five seconds. Meaning that if there was a problem with a patient, there would you have all these, uh, you know, uh, tech people who and and what 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 was what do they call you working there? Behavioral health techs. Behavioral health techs. Pretty much, yeah. Basically, you're you're a combination between a counselor and a brute and a bodyguard, yeah. And you're a, a brute. Big, you're a brute. you're a big guy, <laughs> yeah. And they hire, you know, uh, and they, you know, they. It happens. How often would that happen in your hospital where you would have to run and like? Exert your bruteness. Being the big guy, I was. I was. Uh, they'd have a designated staff member whose job was to run from unit to unit on the shift. I'd be like the uh, the Johnny on the spot, where I'd oh, run from boy. unit to reunit. Boy, <laughs> not even assigned to any t- particular part of the hospital, but just running and helping putting putting out fires okay. in an eight hour shift. I'd say maybe on a bad day, I don't know, constantly, like, <laughs> like physical fires. Yes, like uh-huh. what? Like what kind of things? Like, uh, God, I don't even pull a dude start. off of a orderly. Like or- I. Like I'd get a, I'd respond to it. They called a code gray. It means like shit's going down. Like uh, got to get there. So code gray, code gray on on this unit, unit A. So I'd run to unit A and I'd get there and there'd be one guy who's completely psychotic. He's shouting at everybody and there's there's I don't know ten or twelve staff members that could just easily just dogpile on top of him and they're kind of holding him down and and uh, basically just waiting for a nurse to show up to put Thorazine in his butt or in his leg or in his you know. Sometimes his arm. Did they have special syringes for that application? Because, you know, regular syringes are sort of delicate. Yeah. It just seems like you could have it break off if someone's struggling. Did they have special syringes? Well, modern syringes are breakaway by design now. So so that you can't reuse them. They're meant to be a one-use thing for that exact reason and other reasons. Like, so I couldn't, like, accidentally... If the syringe slipped and I stuck the tech who was holding the person down on accident... The, the needle is meant to on after the first use 
collapse into the syringe so it can't be used again. So you'd have to get another syringe. You'd have to get another syringe. You put the Thorazine in his butt? No, the nurse does oh. that. I'm the one holding him down while he's spitting on me. Right. Did you ever get like uh, a needle in your butt on accident? No, no. And but did, you, know. did you ever have to like, oh my God, this Hannibal dude's eating this guy's brains with Chianti or something? Yeah. Sometimes you'd, you'd walk onto the, a unit and the guy has, um, uh, I don't know, cut his stomach open or her stomach open because they thought they were pregnant with Johnny Depp's baby or something oh, and they're smearing geez. blood on the walls. Oh, oh. And so it's like you you put up, you, it's like, you know, like the, the people in E.T. that go into the house in the hazmat suits, you yep. basically suit up like that, yep. and, you know, try oh, to get all your protective oh, equipment geez. on before you go on, trying not to slip in the puddles oh, of geez, blood. Oh, jeez, Rick. So this depiction in glass... Glass? Is that what glass. It's glass. Yeah, glass. Why does it just... Why was it called... You want, I think you want to say split, maybe. But That's why is it wondered. called glass? Because it's, it's Mr. It's, glass. Yeah, it's bad. Because the first one's unbreakable. But I'm not sure why he the is the central theme of... Because he's not the yeah. central theme of the, this movie. He is. So. He is, actually. I, I suppose I mean, he's the one that, who's yeah. bringing it all together. Yeah. You know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So... But just the one scene... There's just one scene out of many where uh, Mr. Glass cuts the text throat... Yeah. And the tech just lays there dead for, I don't know, hours or something. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. <laughs> right. And a forensic hospital like that with patients like that, they would have at least one tech assigned to them constantly where they'd right. have to sign off every five to 15 minutes saying, yes, he's alert and oriented, alert and oriented, safe, 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 safe. <laughs> just would not happen that way at all. Right. And what I think M. Night knew of, because he must have looked into it a little bit, that society has no idea what a psychiatric hospital actually is like. Right. And his depiction, correct me if I'm wrong, Berto, is the layperson's idea and stereotype of what a psychiatric hospital... Although your stepdad was a psychiatrist well, I, at a hospital. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, I think it's under the layperson's expectation. Uh, that is one of my complaints, is it feels unnatural. In fact, what I thought was happening would have been a much better explanation. I actually thought that whole hospital was set up by that weird, mysterious organization mm. and that all those patients were all similar types of potential superheroes. Because that would have made... Well, I mean, you're right that they would have had more guards and stuff. But but I just thought that it felt so un unrealistic yeah. that there must be something going on they're not telling us. Right. And yeah, and, totally. and I, I'm... You know, my stepdad, this and the other thing. But but even just from movies, like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or like many other that like TV shows in the last 30 years or, or movies do a, a more accurate representation than this. Yeah. So that's one of the, the bigger flaws I see in the movie is that the hospital is, you know, cuckoo bananas. Yeah, and it, it should be noted there's a difference between a hospital, a mental hospital for people who are just debilitated by their illness and a forensic hospital for the criminally insane, yeah, right, right. which is what this hospital is. The security is way, way different. Right. It's like a prison. It's more like a prison, and it's sort of treated more like a prison. Their mo their movements are continuously monitored. Right. And they're just not... And like, the way they all busted out of the hospital at the end and, like, no police show up for, like, a half an hour, you know, and then, like, five police show up and then five more police show up. I mean, is that really how that would go down? Right. Uh, one other small note. <laughs> Given how easy it is for someone to get shot because they were, like, 
holding a phone in their hand. <laughs> the fact that some dude is busting holes in a van and flipping it over right. and no one should, takes a shot. It's yeah. kind of funny. Exactly. <laughs> Another trope that I found annoying was that the guards were assholes. There, there's some kind of right. trope that whenever you have... Uh, low-level techs. They're always sadistic assholes, like right. in Westworld, for example. Yep, yep. There, there's just some kind of thing where writers always want to make, uh, you know, techs into assholes. Or in um, Terminator 2. The, oh, yeah. The, the guy that licks Sarah Connor's face. Right. There's just some... It's like with... That co- happens, though. Right. They for exist, sure, but yeah. not, not... Not all of them. Not common. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you're right. I, I see what Kirk is saying, because... I think that is a common perception is they always go there. Yeah. They always go there. And especially in these movies where like the protagonist or one of the main is incapacitated. Yeah. They always put him in that vulnerable spot and some, some asshole takes advantage of that. Right. And always. Sadistically. <laughs> Sadistically. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that actually depends on, I've, I've noticed that the level of abuse that takes place in a given mental hospital depends on if there's cameras or not in that hospital. That makes sense. Did you, you ever see anything like that? Yeah, I've I've seen things. I've had to report things. Yeah. Like what? Uh, uh, without getting into too much detail, just uh, more emotional and psychological abuse, like like picking on patients. Okay. And in a way, it's it's a way for the techs who, if you really want to show an accurate depiction of a tech, you'd show somebody who was just like traumatized and burned out, and like yeah. like a soldier on the battlefield using humor as a way to cope with what you're dealing with, sure. and sort of making the patients the target of that. No. So, but that that doesn't make it right. Yeah. So, so things like that. Yeah. So, also in the movie, we see that Elijah has laser surgery on his brain. Right. Which is. Oh, so well, they think that he does. <laughs> well, what what was the plot on that? Well, so he sabotages the machine. So right. Which is still weird because like they still show the laser on his head, but it is not as powerful, so it doesn't actually do what it was supposed to do. And right. what was that supposed to be? A, mo- a lobotomy. I have no idea. That's the other thing, too. That's not what they do anymore. That, I mean, I've seen patients far more dangerous no. than probably even Mr. Glass. And Well, was and, it a lobotomy? Because I thought it was... Because uh, her hypothesis was that they're... Well, yes, her hypothesis was that the frontal lobe had some damage. So I thought that she was removing the damage or something. Well, right. the frontal lobe is where all your personality and the right. substance of who right. you but are Right, but she wasn't is. removing the whole frontal lobe. And then the lobotomy would be would be damaging that frontal lobe on purpose to make you sort of uh, doped out and catatonic. Did she say it was a lobotomy? I, I don't remember. She didn't say the words, okay. but... but I was like, what the hell could it possibly... Because I don't think that procedure or anything close to it exists at all. No. And the closest thing would be a lobotomy. Right. Plus, like, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they didn't cut into his head, right? No, it's just a laser. So, but but if it was a laser powerful powerful enough to affect the brain, it doesn't leave the skin intact. Right, exactly. <laughs> it cuts right. through. Yeah. There were so many things wrong with that scene. I, I, and there's... It's, again, if he, if he just would have asked someone, like... Well, what's a possible? I need a I need a plot point here where right. uh, there's a there's a procedure that the doctor thinks that they're doing on right. Elijah that is going to somehow like get rid of something, and we need Elijah to be able to sabotage it. What would that look like? No, no one would say lasers. Right. <laughs> Top topical lasers. <laughs> topical lasers on the forehead. I mean, that's essentially like trying to do like heart surgery by like. Tapping on your chest, right? You know what I mean. It, that's it. Right. anyway. Not to mention the rights of a patient. You can't. You don't just get to. At least not nowadays. Back in the day, you could take a patient and essentially torture them and experiment on them. But now, 
you can't just say, "Hey, uh, we're gonna put a, we're gonna lobotomize you in two days." Right. That's another problem with this movie is that it basically makes it seem like, and this is another trope and another uh, misconception is that once you ent- once you cross that barrier into a psychiatric hospital, you have lost all power. No ethics right. apply. You you have no recourse. Well, it's like it's like the 1700s or something, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> essentially, yeah. And, and it, they have patient right advocates working on the hospital, right. and yeah. yeah. You remember in Amadeus, the conditions in the where Salieri is were atrocious. I fully believe that's what it was like. Sure, totally. Right. Well, <laughs> at even, one point, even yeah. just a hundred years ago, it was, sure. it was pretty bad. Sure, but yeah. So going to your point, Berto, was if. This was some secret clandestine, quote-unquote, hospital that was outside of uh, society's hospitals. Then that would have made more sense, but it wasn't. It would have explained everything a lot better, too. Yeah. Why security doesn't show up when they're outside, how you could get away with lobotomizing a patient, how Bruce Willis could break out of his cell and nobody cares. And why they might not be able to have a whole armada of people showing up every day. Yes. Like, I don't know if it's perfect, but it would have helped... It would have helped. Oh, yeah. As it stands, it's a normal mental hospital. Right. <laughs> right. Wow. With presumably there are other patients there somewhere. There were. They showed them, remember? Oh, they did. Yeah, they showed them. They, they showed them coming to the window. They showed them kind of crossing the hallway. Oh, man. And they looked like mental patients. Yeah. So let's take a break. And when we get back, let's continue talking about the, the extreme accuracy of this movie. What do you say? Let's, let's do, do it. it. All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of either of our podcasts, do so now. Go to patreon.com, become a patron of Psychology in Seattle and the Unpopular Culture, which Michael Drain is a part of. You can go to YouTube and subscribe to Umberto's new YouTube channel, Psycho Birdo. Woo! Psycho Birdo. And I, I didn't know you had a YouTube Psycho Birdo. <laughs> he is, I just started it last week. I would have had a lot more videos, by the way, already, but I got super sick. And so once I am back, which is hopefully by this weekend, yeah. I will start pumping them out like new babies. Sweet. I last night went on and looked at it, and I was your fourth view of your very you first... You watched the video? I mean, I didn't really understand it, honestly. Because you haven't seen the show. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know. Oh, my God, you spoiled your alert. Yeah. Uh, but but I thought, you know, it was well produced and I, I think right. it's a good beginning. It's a good beginnings. Did you like my catchphrase? <laughs> what was it again? Like, I don't really have a catchphrase yet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Your catchphrase is I don't have a catchphrase? Yeah, and my outro was like, oh, what should my outro be? And I was like rambling and then I'm like, maybe I should just fade this out and it fades out. <laughs> Fascinating. I got to check this out. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it'll be something. So let's talk about the depiction of dissociative identity disorder, which we yes. already we already talked in Split. Right. Mike, Michael Drain, what do you think? So let's uh, let's try to. I just want to synapse the synapse. I want to recap the uh, our our mutual take. I believe from 2016 on Split was that mostly accurate depiction of DID until the end, where he starts bending bars and climbing on the walls. Right. Yeah. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this was kind I mean, of. I mean, con- aside from the fact that. The vast majority of people with DID are not serial killers. Yeah, they're they're suffering individuals who live regular lives. Yeah, and and the purpose of the alters or the personalities that take on are we think protective in some way. They they emerge to protect the inner self that's so fractured. Right. right. Which actually was a large part of that equation. Yeah. Right. 
Which I liked that yeah. M. Night did that. I do too. And I like, yeah, because you can kind of look at all of his characters, James McAvoy's characters, and see like how all of them, or even the Horde, even the serial killer, is protective in some way. By the way, it is funny that there seems to have been a lot more research that he did for that movie. Yeah. Right? It yeah. seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah actually, looking back, I, I remember even the therapy depictions right. were quite accurate yeah she was validating and normalizing yeah. and, and she help. wasn't trying to have sex with him like every other <laughs> movie therapist she wasn't trying to kill him right she, yeah she was nice she was validating she seemed to know a lot about dissociative identity disorder right it is interesting that he did his homework there but and no. i wonder if it's like you pick your battles i mean it's just him against the world with this stuff he's got to write the script produce find the actors all this stuff so maybe he's like i don't have time nobody got time for this shit you know? yeah the the part that trips me up is the mechanism that makes him switch personalities. The flashing light, never heard of that before. No, Don't that know makes that no being sense. a thing. It's not a thing. Not only is it not well, I trust your word that it's not a thing. I, mean, I wouldn't believe it would be a thing. I certainly didn't buy it. But on top of that, it cheapened the whole thing for me. And not to mention, as many people commented online, it's like, but none of the personalities, including the smarter ones, thought to cover their eyes. <laughs> like I don't understand. That's funny. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because one time someone's standing in between. Yeah, and that's all it takes to stop it, right? Right. Well, then, freaking come on. Yeah. So, I, t- trying to tie that to real, legitimate psychology. Tell me what you think about this. EMDR therapy uses a strobe light as a way to help activate the left-right activation that happens to pull up repressed memories. So. It's not entirely a connection, but kind of. You can see how how light mechanisms are in some way activating unaccessed part of the conscious, right? I, I mean, that's extremely generous yeah. to, to M. Night. Um, and to be clear, EMDR, the lights aren't used to bring up repressed memories. They're there to help to pr- reprocess the memories. So the person recalls the memories and you're doing the bilateral stimulation to the brain, whether it's by light or by hands or something. And the theory goes that that somehow helps to integrate and recover from PTSD. It's, you know. Sure. But if the process of EMDR is to and and the byproduct of EMDR is to bring up repressed memories and the mechanism to do that is bilateral stimulation. That isn't the purpose of EMDR is it's it's not to bring up repressed memories. It's to. But it happens in EMDR. It can as yeah. a byproduct, but yeah. it doesn't have to. And no, I, but but it can. I'm I'm I'm, I'm making a. Re- I'm really trying to stretch it to real right. psychology here, and it's not. But I'm there. saying, yeah. I mean, not only is EMDR not a purpose to bring up repressed memories, but uh, to even if it was just flashing a light and something. The the other thing is, is that in the movie, she knew the lights were going to work. Perfectly. Oh yeah, she has no threat to her life whatsoever. Before they've even tested them, right? Like, yeah, they have. She's never tested it on this individual, unless the indication implication would be they've had other individuals with these kind. Of, I mean, right? It's just, but and, now I will say this: this is a superhero movie, right? Right. Sure. So, so you know, if we're if we're gonna believe that Flash can go faster than the speed of light right. and right. Superman can fly into the sun. Then we can say, okay, there's you got it. So as I was watching the movie, um, I I was like, oh, okay, they needed to have some way of controlling, and I guess this is right. as good as any other. Well, and and I'll state for I haven't seen it twice, so maybe on second viewing it would have bothered me more. But on first viewing, I was sort of like loosely noting these things. 
But it wasn't bothering me to the point of like taking me out of the movie. Totally, yeah. And y- yes, this is a superhero movie like Superman in a way and then another way this is a superhero movie that's that's playing with the idea of are they superheroes or is it real? Right. And so I think we do get to sort of criticize yeah, a little on, this the, on the fence. Well, but okay, so taking even the fiction of the movie, there's another argument here that when you see McAvoy turn into the beast, Clearly, that's not just a mental thing because his physiology changes to be almost uh, like not uh, he's nowhere near as unbreakable as as Bruce Willis, but he certainly uh, doesn't get damaged easily. He's super strong, can somehow adhere himself to uh, upside down surfaces. Right. So it's not like he is the same person just with a different personality switched on, which I disliked, like in in. Split. Split and glass when they kept it to possible human uh, sure. phys- physics. I liked it better. And when yeah. in both movies, when they took it to, sure. oh, he's a superhero. But let's say, right. So you can dislike it. But let's say you make that leap. My point is that if you switched into that beast, he doesn't switch that one on easily. He like It comes on and it's right. painful. And right. he's like, ah, he's not going to turn around and rush the lights. And just because it flashes instantly, his body is back to normal. Because that's not how it was operating in any other case. If his, if so, if you want to operate on the premise that it's a, it's delusional in nature, it, and he was tethered enough to the delusion. In other words, he would have to believe deeply and and firmly that those lights switch his altar. Uh, well, know? but we have to. Okay, but I. So and in this universe, in this universe, Bruce Willis isn't just. Uh, you know, has a better immune system than you and I. <laughs> he cannot be affected. He has. I mean, a tra- if you if you imagine a train crash, right? Yeah. Where no survivors, except for him. Uh, that this is an argument I was having. By the way, uh, side story: we're in the movie, me and a buddy, and it's just us two and one other dude whom we don't know, and he's a nineteen-year-old kid, super socially awkward. And before the movie, he parked himself standing right next to me. Talking, talking, Ugh. talking, and after the movie comes right back, talking, and we were like, and we, and he followed us all the way till we left, and lo- luckily he's like, oh, I gotta get back in and do something. Like, talking during the movie? No, 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 oh. before oh. and after. Oh, but okay. I'm saying like he, he wouldn't stop talking about the the all the details. So one argument I was having with him briefly was he was saying that well, Bruce Willis is can be hurt by by bullets. Because it's just that his bones are super dense. I'm like, no, 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 no. That it w- that would be an impossible explanation for how he survived the train crash. Right. Yeah. So in this universe, their physiology isn't just like a little better than a human. It is completely magical, right? So it's it, it cannot. We cannot claim. Well, no, they're just making themselves think that. No, no, that that's impossible. Now I do give credit to what you were saying earlier, that he crafted the scene so well where the doctor is making them question. That you as a viewer, you're almost like, oh, yeah, well, maybe it could be. Well, and he crafted glass in such a way where you could actually look at everything and say all of it or most of it was within, within, the, within the realm of possibility, right? Like when, spoiler alert, you know, to the end, when the horde is killed, it, you know, the girl 
gets him to change into Kevin, and as he's switching, that's when he's shot. Yeah. So would he have deflected a bullet if he was still the Horde, or would he have not? We right. don't know. Or even better, the Sarah Paulson character talks about, explains away all the things that happened in Split, all the things that we're complaining about. Well, right. the buckshot was old, and the bars were from 1876. Yeah. I, so I loved that. Yeah. That was right at the beginning, and when, when right. she said that, I was like, oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> the one cool. You, yeah, the right. one you just can't explain away from Unbreakable is the train crash. Right. Well, no, you can't. You can because they never showed it. And occasionally people, freak accident, they do survive stuff like that. It's, it's with, with it. It's zero point, scratches. Right. Berto's point is that there, if a, it was just his bones that were unbreakable, that doesn't account for all the soft tissue damage uh, that would have happened. I'm I, just saying they're, 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 it's, in the, it's, it's extremely in the unlikely. <laughs> it's in, extremely unlikely. But, you know, yeah. you could see like he was, you know, maybe walking in between and got, like, ejected and blah, blah, I mean, blah. I, Land, landed in a... I'll from the perspective of there's just enough there to where that made that scene possible. Right. It's not like he yeah. took a bullet to the head and survived. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, or, or a bullet bounced off his chest. You know what I mean? Anyway. But he didn't have a bruise on him. He didn't yeah, have a right. scratch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But again, you know, it's, maybe, he had a, maybe he had a bruise on his butt. We didn't see it. Sure. Um, <laughs> Uh, People have fallen from uh, airplanes and their parachute didn't pull and they survived it. So right. and they were not unbreakable. And they did not they have... They had scratches. Just, <laughs> no. They just got up, walked away. Um, so, uh, yeah. Now, it, in so I liked Split's depiction of dissociative identity disorder for the most part. But then I actually... And it, we t- that was our basic thesis when we did that episode a couple of years ago. But then I started hearing from people who actually had DID... And they're like, yes, it it did do a lot for um, showing. It's one of the few movies that actually depicts it fairly well. But it's probably one of the only movies that depicts it. And he's, he's a serial, serial killer. killer. Right. So, it, yeah, it's accurate. But now everyone's going to think dissociative identity disorder is associated with murder and with evil and with malintent. Right, right, it's like right. we're already enough stigmatized. Right. This isn't helping, you know? And so this Glass movie didn't do anything to help with that. Sure. <laughs> so the Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson characters both would be delusional disorder, I suppose? Well, so let's get into that. Yeah. Well, well, what do you think? Well, I think, I think, yeah, I think so. Except it's more explainable with Sam Jackson because... So his delusion would be a protective quality that would uh, sort of check against the fact that his bones were so breakable. He had this lifelong yeah. of trauma uh, breaking over every every single thing. So you can kind of follow the logic of how he would develop this delusion. Well, it's because I am a superhero and this is part of my power. Right. And delusion meaning that it was a defense, not a not a schizophrenic delusion, for example. Well, that delusion meaning, you know, believing something that isn't true. But delusions can be so, um, they can be protective. You know, it's an adaptive thing. It's like but a way was to super, explain what's happening to you. Right. But he was super smart. Yeah. And right. that was established from the perspective of he knew how to, quote unquote, game the comic book market to make millions and millions. Right. Uh, he knew how to sabotage all these things in ways that were untraceable to him uh, and so forth, right? So the implication is that he's like super resourceful, very knowledgeable about mechanics and systems and blah, 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 blah. And obviously really high emotional IQ with people and all those things, right? So that would have helped his delusion in the sense that 
I, I don't know. I everywhere I look, it seems like I'm the genius. Exactly. So. And the origin point in Unbreakable, if you remember, he's he's had he's a very breakable kid. He's got yeah. this really hard life. His mom and him, or he's like a single mom. You get the sense that they're kind of growing up in poverty. They don't have a lot. And then mom gives him a comic book. Right. And it gives him a purpose and a direction. And so he starts to take measure of all the things he is and is not. He's like, I, I break extremely easily, but I'm very, very smart. And I have this whole sort of theme of comic books going on. And it becomes this delusion that is meant to protect again right. and explain his life and sort of give it purpose and direction. Yeah, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And it makes total sense. I just wouldn't use the word delusion because it's not a DSM delusion. It's a... It's a Freudian delusion in a sense, you know. It's a defensive delusion, sure. meaning that uh, it's it's a, an emotional need that he developed this this story about himself. You could even consider it like a personality disorder in a sense, because you know you you in the hospital you would see people who were schizophrenic. They wouldn't have such a narrow delusion, you know. They they would have a global mental illness that would have some delusions within that, right? Uh it depended. I mean, I, I, there was, I've seen, there were people that were extremely high function, but then, but they always had, well, but it, no, it's, cause, cause it's not, hard with, it's hard with glass because like it sort of fits this global delusion thing because what is his actual delusion? Say, well, he thinks he, he's a he's super a, villain. Yeah, and, okay. and that Bruce Willis is a superhero and so is uh, James McAvoy. Okay. But, but before he met them, let's say before he met them, he thought these people might exist, but he, he thought of himself as a supervillain, Right. right. Well, what's the definition of a supervillain? I don't know. Someone who creates like this mass chaos and kills hundreds and th- or hundreds of people, whatever. And he does. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's not always just some localized delusion, but there's a broader explanation. And, and the person, like, hypothetically, somebody who is very smart thinks that they can control water. And so because there's water in everything and everybody's body and stuff, they can oh, therefore control everybody else. And so that justifies... They're, so they have this grandiose power delusion where they're better than uh, everybody else. And then there's an antisocial piece where they can kill people and then manipulate their body parts and stuff. Oh, Something like that. <laughs> is that a patient you actually are talking about or is that a for instance? It's a it's Hi- hypothetical. Hypothetical. Yeah. So the when people have schizophrenia or other similar psychotic disorders, they tend to have a lot of symptoms that are associated with it. They don't they don't just have the delusion. It's possible, you know, there are, I guess there are cases when someone has has it they're pretty high functioning and and they have this consistent delusion, I guess, around this uh sort of thing. But to me, it, if you just, you know, had a 100 people with a psychotic disorder, none of them would look the way that these people are are being presented, not as oriented and stuff as as he is, not right. as, quite as high functioning. Yeah. yeah, confused, disorganized, highly anxious, anxious, yeah. psychotic Irritable. people. Psychotic people. There's a mood component. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they could be extremely upset, right. and anxious, and and uh, and confused, or flat and withdrawn, and completely the uh, catatonic in right. the opposite direction. Whereas it's, he is in complete control of. The situation and the plan he's executing, a plan that's super complex. Right. And, and he's never been disorganized. You right. know, as far as we know, he, no. he's had a pretty no. normal mood his entire life. Yeah, well, yeah. I remember his, his gallery was pristine. Yeah. His, uh, he had to be pristine because he never got caught in any of the... I mean, imagine the lack of evidence. Like, with someone with his disability 
and to leave no like well the, he did leave the footage but but, but there was nothing tying him directly but he did that on purpose yeah I, I guess you're right yeah and, and David Dunn he's he's supposed to be delusional as well right but he doesn't explain as well because because he doesn't he's sort of a reluctant into his role and so if he were delusional about it like he would be you would think he'd be embracing that right because right, they never showed us an interview where he's like. Well, at first I didn't believe it, but now I'm like clearly like Superman and I'm a super. If anything, I would have imagined something like, look, don't ask me. I can't explain it. All I know is I seem to be super strong. I don't seem to be able to get hurt. And there's lots of people in need and I don't see the cops doing enough. So, you know, like that kind of thing. So I did find one study about delusions of grandeur because because cool. in the movie they, she actually diagnoses them with delusions of grandeur. Yeah, I remember which, that. Which which when I heard it in the movie I was like because that was actually in Star Wars too right in, yeah in Return right uh, Han is like Luke a Jedi Knight <laughs> oh I I'm gone for a few months and everyone's got delusions of grandeur yeah and, and so uh, hearing that in this movie. Because I don't think I'd heard the phrase delusions of grandeur since since I saw Return in 1983. <laughs> so you think that's where you got it? Well, so no one in our field. I mean, have you ever heard a, a clinician use the phrase delusions of grandeur? No, it's, it's clinically it's grandiose type delusion. Right. They would never use delusion of grandeur. No, right? that's more like something you say to your spouse when you're pissed at them. Or right. Chewbacca. Or right. Chewbacca. It, it's more of a thing like you, you think you're going to be president of the United States. You, right. You're, you have you a delu- got delusions but, of grandeur. But they actually, I did, I, so I looked at the research to see if there, if this phrase is ever used hmm. in the clinical literature, and it was a long time ago, around the time that, uh. <laughs> in 1980, uh, there's, a, there's a study by Carson, and, and, and what they were, it was a phrase for grandio, you know, grandiose delusions. And so in this study, they looked at people with schizophrenia and, and uh, manic depression, is what they called it back then. Bipolar now. And what they asked is, uh, what they tried to figure out is how many of them had delusions of grandeur. So let me ask the two of you, what percentage of people who were currently manic had a delusion of grandeur? What do you think? Manic, not schizophrenic? Right. So psychotic, manic, right? Psychotic and manic at the same time? I suspect. Okay. Um, I'd say maybe... 40 to 50 percent. What do you think, Bruno? 70 percent. 76 percent. Yeah. I, I would have thought, actually, it would have even been lower than that because there's so much, there's such a variety of, of delusions. But the big themes, I, I always feel like I see two themes. I see grandiosity and then I see pers- persecutory. Right. You know? You see, and that's what I've, like... Persecutory, like, like FBI uh, is people after. are after getting... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not really a manic state necessarily. I mean, it can be, actually. Never Absolutely, mind. Yeah, yeah, it can be. So that would be my suspicion of huh. is the paranoid delusions. Right. That's what I've in the few cases I've worked with. That's the dominant delusional state. But but yeah. So seventy six percent in this study in nineteen eighty. Huh. Um, what percentage of people with schizophrenia had delusions of grandeur? Oh, that I would. I'd stay the same number. Forty to fifty percent. Berto. For schi- schizophrenia, uh, lower thirty. Good forty percent. Which makes sense. So if because manic people, they're going to believe, you know, they think they're gods. And they have an elevated self self esteem just by being manic, right? Yeah. Uh, people who have manic psychosis can literally believe they're a god or they're Jesus or I am a god. You know that kind of thing. It, the brain tricks you into thinking like you can, you know, right. you can do anything. So yeah, forty percent. Uh, let me ask you this: 
do delusions of grandeur affect how long the mental illness will last? What do you think? Oh, interesting. Uh, or are they, I mean, correlated with how long it lasts is probably a better way to put it. Uh, no, I okay. wouldn't say so. I, yeah. I, no, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's dependent. No. Mm-mm. Right, because it's like, why would it, right? right? It's like, what does it matter what delusions you have? Yeah. You're just delusional. Exactly. Yeah. But the, what they found is it actually is associated. I was going to say yes. Oh. Yeah, because like in my mind, part of... I didn't ask you because you're not a clinician and oh, you, you don't, you don't get that. It sounds like someone's got delusions of grandeur around here. You don't get an answer, Berto. No, but I was going to say yes from my layperson perspective. No, I was just thinking that like that might actually make it harder for the person to engage in treatment or engage with the... the oh, yeah. Treatment. I mean, essentially, uh, almost impossible while they're in that state. You have yeah. to try to get them to some kind of baseline using psych meds before you can get into any kind of psychotherapy or interventions like that. I suspect all these people are actually in a hospital, so they probably were under uh, forceful, you know, involuntary medication. Which also means they're the most severe presentations of the, of right. the illness, too. Wow. But what they found was that if someone had a delusion of grandeur, they, they're... Uh, symptoms lasted a year longer on average as compared huh. to... But it's not necessarily cause, right? Right. So, so what I was thinking was that, or and what they were thinking was that delusions of grandeur indicate more severe illness to begin with. Huh. You know, because if you have, if you don't have delusions of grandeur, then in all likelihood you have lesser delusions than than delusions of grandeur that that was what they were thinking. fascinating i that's not that's not my personal experience but that's an interesting it's because because yeah. the other kind that you really see is the persecutory the fear they're they're out to get me and the paranoia which can be just as pervasive in my experience totally uh, that, yeah yeah I, I, it makes that, sense right yeah, yeah I, that's what i would say but but you know who knows in this one study from 1980 i don't know man no one i know has bigger delusions of grandeur than me <laughs> and well, I think true. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> that's so meta. Okay, what about the different subtypes of delusions of grandeur? There are three subtypes. What do you Whoa. think? What do you think? Okay, like what types could these And you can like? actually look to the characters at Glass for guidance. Okay. So one of them is that they are smarter than everyone else. Um well, broader than smarter. Uh that they can that they should be in charge of everyone else. Uh yeah. Kind of. I think, I think we're getting there. You're sort of in between a couple okay. of categories. Religious type is one of them? Um, no. I mean, no, because delusion of grandeur meaning like you're, you're better than other people, okay. right? Okay. I'm supposed in what, to... In what way are, is it, maybe I should say, in, right. in what way are you better than other people? Well, but I, that's why I was saying smarter, yeah. but you're saying... So uh, that's one is ability, just to give you an idea. Ability. Oh, I so, see. so one is... Oh, I see. That's a delusion of a grandeur of, ability. Of, of you have an ability okay. that is better and like I'm immune to bullets or I can read people's minds by right. touching them. Right. Uh, this is a, an ability delusion of grandeur. What are the other two categories, do you think? What about I should be exempt from the rules? Um, sort of, yeah. Like untouchability or untouchability. Like. Yeah. Try to get to the larger. I don't know if this category. is a like a, a part a bill. I've never heard it quite defined that way. But but uh, thought broadcasting is a big thing that happens a lot. Like yeah. the ability to read minds. Well, see, that's an ability. But that's outside of that's out. Okay. I should be given special treatment over everyone else. Yeah. So I'll give you that one. Identity. So the other two are role and identity. Okay. Um, so. Role is like, um, it's my role to make superheroes in okay. the world. I see. 
and identity is I am a superhero. Right. Right. Okay. So so we could look to, to these typologies that Carson came up with in 1980 and look at these I these see. characters. So so yeah, I mean, as a as a uh, plot device, as a script, as long as people go in, you know, the whole thing is is. We, sh- as a society, shouldn't be depending on M. Night Shyamalan to teach us <laughs> about <laughs> mental illness and uh, reducing stigma. That's you know? what we're here for, Kirk. If we are relying on M. Night Shyamalan to solve our stigma problems, then we're already lost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, it's like depending on, on George Lucas to teach us about the Force. <laughs> so, if, uh, so if we watch a movie like this and we're like, I hate it because it stigmatizes and it's not accurate and all this kind of stuff. Okay, but what are we doing as a society to actually address that? That's a bigger... It's a symptom of a bigger problem. Right. And if you're a movie writer, you're supposed to... It's a fantasy movie. Right. You're supposed to be writing fantastical things. You know what would be a boring version of, of Glass? All three of them are sitting in a normal cafe and no one's accusing them of being weird or different (laughs) (laughs) having said that he could have written a script that wasn't as stigmatizing and wasn't as inaccurate of as we were pointing out they could have made it not an actual public mental health hospital but a secret institution made to look like a that would have made way more sense now i will say maybe to play devil's advocate because the, the 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 doctor that's saying, "Hey, you guys got delusions of, of grandeur," Actually, she is presented as trying to help them, yeah. well, meaning yeah. to say, like, the reason you are going through this is because you actually have a mental a mental issue, but we can help you with the mental issue. Yeah. So one could say that they're not stigmatizing the mental issue; they're stigmatizing if they were really uh, bad guys and villains and things like that. But they're saying they're not really that. So, you know, you could see that argument. Like, but they're what not really was, stigmatizing. What was her goal? Well, in reality or what she presented? In reality, like in the oh, okay. So she was part was of some secret society that, that it, their philosophy was neither good nor bad superhumans are allowed well, because they're going to screw so, us up. So convince them that they don't have powers and return them to, air quote, normalcy uh, or yeah. kill them. Yeah, or kill them. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But neutralize them. Wouldn't as it just thing. be easier just to kill them? <laughs> well, that, yeah, probably. But but she, you know, there seems like there's different factions within it, like uh. or because she said something like, you know, I was gonna leave you alone, but you were like with them, and so. Like, so let's get to the ending, Michael Drain. Did you like the ending? No. What didn't you like about the ending? I didn't like that we never actually got to the Osaka Tower or whatever it was. They really played that up. They really hyped that up. Like, I thought it was going to be all epic and take a, you know, like, and then it was just in the parking lot where I used to park my car at the forensic hospital. Yeah, I I think actually that's why a lot of people didn't like the movie was because it's a superhero movie. It's the the end of a trilogy. You have three superhumans. There should be an epic battle. Right. That's what we expect. But it didn't actually, feel super epic. But actually, my tastes. Yeah. I liked the way that it was because I am so tired of the epic battles at the end of these movies. Yeah. Like in Wonder Woman, for example, there's this. It's a wonderful movie that is, you know, it it's wonderfully laid out, wonderfully acted, wonderfully written for the first eighty five percent. And then this last epic battle, right? That happens in that in that airport air strip. What air? What do you call it? Runway. Runway. 
And about halfway through the fight, I'm like, do we, you know, I thought Wonder Woman was going to be not like all the other movies and have a massive epic CGI fight that I have no connection to because it just feels like it's a cartoon that's from out of this world. So I kind of liked that fact and I didn't notice it in the time. But then afterwards, I was like, I bet you anything, a lot of people didn't like this movie because they were wanting, you know, a big humongous thing where like there's explosions and things are falling from yeah on top you know and, and I mean that would have been par for the course I can I can get behind that and actually the the sort of mediocrity of the final scene the setting of it all kind of reflects the mediocrity of how these characters are kind of superheroes but based in reality right. not quite you know yeah so stylistically stylistically it's, I think it's it a all kind of yeah yeah it all kind of held together for me for sure but but i you know i'm i'm someone who likes you know art movies and stuff you know i'm not a normal human to begin with so <laughs> well I'll, I'll tell you i have a mix of this because you could say it does match sort of that sensibility but at the same time what would have been really poetic in its arc the whole thing started with a natural, not natural, with this massive disaster that we find out later was triggered by glass, right? And that's how the movie opens, uh, Unbreakable, I mean. So it would actually really been good to get back to that concept. Yeah. And that's uh, like where glass is going to trigger this massive casualty thing. Or they're right? all on a train. Sure, it could have been. That would have been interesting. Unbreakable took place in a pre-9-11 world, though. Yeah, less uh, sensitive to sure terrorist disasters. But they were gonna. They hinted that they were gonna do it in the movie, right? Yeah, like, they did. Yeah. Now the the other thing that I felt really sad about was that. Uh, so what's the uh, Bruce Willis character? Dunn. Dunn. David Dunn. Yeah. Man, his character arc died. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. Very unceremonious. Well, shouldn't too. he have overcome his fear of water at the end? Well, I don't think he can. Any more than Superman okay, can overcome and kryptonite. Maybe that's me wanting too much of a Hollywoody thing, but it's like it was such an unceremonious end. Yeah, I agree you know? with that. Well, because now that I think about it, which I agree, the, the story of Glass, uh, of Elijah, is so much more tragic and deep. Right. The story of the split character, Kevin, being abused by his mom after his dad died in the, in the train yeah. crash... That is so deep and, and and tragic. Right. The story of David Dunn... Kind of two-dimensional by he, comparison. Yeah. He's supposed to be an everyman who just kind of discovered that right. he has these powers. And 20 years later, he's just still doing it with yeah. his son. You know? Yeah, and then That's he dies cool. in a puddle. And he dies in a puddle. Which, <laughs> which like... again, to me, as I'm watching it, was brilliant because, again... Eb Knight has, you know, he knows how to make... He's made bigger budget movies. He right. knows how... He's, he's like, well... You got to have a giant wave that, you know, that that's what the DC universe would yeah. do. But M. Knight's like, no, wouldn't it be interesting if he just drowns in two inches of water? This big, strong, unbreakable guy. Yeah. And he just drowns in this water on the ground. Like that. I, I, I was like, that's brilliant. You but, know? but the and, and, and it's kind of trolling regular movie watchers. I, and, and I think I saw that at the end of the movie. Yeah. I was like. I think M. Night's actually trolling people who like hero movies right now. And that, that yeah. I could see that. But I, I even within his own storyline, it sort of didn't make sense because like the glass guy was trying to reveal the superhero-ness to the world, right? But when you watch the videos that got uploaded, not that I watched the videos, but if you see kind of the footage, 
There's a lot of plausible deniability. Fake there. news. No one got shot. Yeah, some super jacked up steroid dude pushed a right. real car over. Right. And then some dudes broke out of a real water. I well, did have that thought. Like, yeah. But again, so if M. Night is leaving it open to making another $20 million movie that's in this universe, you could see another superhuman yeah. seeing that footage and Rorschach test goes, those people are like me. Yeah. Whereas yeah. 99.9% of the public looks at it and says, sure. oh, what is that? It's just a sure. roided up dude. Okay. So, you know, again, this he's not making a superhero movie in the vein of a superhero movie. You know, he's he's trying to play this this line, which I, I kind of liked. I, I do. I, I mean, I mostly am with you, right? I guess just personally, I think he could have done that and still give us unbreakable fans a little more of a resolution with David Dunn, just a little bit. But yeah, I totally. agree with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, uh, but at the yeah. same time, trying to write a good ending to a trilogy and to a movie like this, yeah. I f- I would imagine it would be really hard. Like yeah. you know, he's like, okay, they've all got to die because I don't want any of the other ones to to carry on to the to the next level. They I want them all to die in this movie, right? Um, how do I do that in a way that wraps up everything perfectly and satisfies everyone needs, you know, especially when it's kind of like the George Lucas thing. Like when he made a new hope, do you really think he was thinking about right, making right, right. sequels? Right. I don't so, think that unbreakable was originally supposed to be a, a trilogy 20 years in the making. M Knight claims bullshit in a very Lucas manner that he wanted to have the split character in Unbreakable, but had to cut it at the last minute. I can imagine yeah. that. I can't. I don't see it. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I, if you were going to do this, you wouldn't have waited till Bruce Willis was like, what, 70 no, years No, no, no. Hold on. Remember, he went into the Valley of Darkness for a while because he made a lot of missteps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. But I just don't buy it that he all had along. All along. Yeah. yeah. I, I, what, it, it, all, all evidence point, because, because, Lucas and M. Night are uh, incentivized to make such a claim because otherwise they're criticized for kind of like Frankensteining together these different stories to make a trilogy. It, it always feels so much better to have, yeah. have a grand scheme. Uh, George Lucas did this so many times. Yep. He's like, oh, I always knew that. It's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. If you did know, you wouldn't have had Luke and Leia kissing right. in episode five. That right. No rational person would have a brother and sister kissing. Well, I do wonder about that specific example because I know you've brought this up before and I've sort of gone along with it. But what do you think? Who, they, who do you think they were talking about when they say, no, there is another? Are you saying that they just didn't know yet? They didn't know yet. In fact, I'm pretty sure... Other people closer to that situation said that. They they said, we didn't know who we were going to refer to. But it, I bet you Lucas did. I don't think he did. In fact, a lot of things are pointing to, um, I can't remember, and this is just from, I think I just read, read this like a month ago. Someone close to the project was saying, at the time, we were thinking about having someone else for because they needed someone else because of the way episode five ended they needed another potential jedi for some other reason i can't remember the reason and and okay but but he calls out to leia and leia hears him because jedi people have the ability to call do it to others though how we don't know that i mean obi-wan does it with luke 
that that's what we that's we've we've retro added that anyway. My and point the Star is, Wars between video games and everything. The Star Wars universe has been so expanded that this yeah, stuff yeah. is very blurry now at this point. Like the rules. About you Jedi don't get powers. to talk about this. You didn't even watch the originals. <laughs> so I just want to go over some good and bad things, and and we'll wrap this up. Again, James McAvoy is amazing. Stellar. Every time he was on on screen, really I was, great. I, was, I think he's the best thing about the movie. Totally. Really uh, great. I liked that Bruce Willis grew out his hair. Yeah. I think it's the only movie I've ever seen him in because... He did? Well, so... I what little hair he's got. So, yeah, I didn't even so know he had hair. He started going bald, like, you know, 20 years ago Die or hard, yeah. And he just shaved his entire head off. And so in every movie and every press release or every... He's just always, like, completely bald. And But, like, Jean-Luc Picard... He has a rim of hair yeah. around the side that's that's gray, but he just shaves it off because right. it makes him look younger, right? Yeah. In this movie, he has that ring of hair, right? It, Whoa! It, and he's totally bald on yeah, top, yeah. but he has oh, that ring it. ring of 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 gray hair around the side of his head. Yeah. And I was like, good for Bruce because you you know he has enough star power to be like, no, totally. M Night, I'm not doing that. But it was so much more realistic. Yeah, that he's a regular guy. Why would he be so vain that right. he would do that? Right. Huh. I love that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Did you notice that, Bruno? Yeah, I definitely did. I also noticed. So I know that Bruce didn't get that many speaking lines and things like that, but I actually thought he did a good job. Like I thought that he, he, he played it straight. He played the same character. It didn't feel like, a, like some. That's not the David. Dunn. Like it felt like the same character. Yeah. Well, the character isn't super dynamic, like you pointed out. Yeah. And yeah. it didn't. It certainly didn't showcase Bruce Willis's full range of acting right, shops right right you know but as i was saying earlier i can't think of a movie in the last 10 years where he shows any acting chops you know he he's so, he i recently rewatched die hard and i was like oh that's right in the 80s he, kinda, he was acting he sort of <laughs> overacted like he, he was a he was a you know on moonlighting and stuff he was yeah. dynamic he yeah. was attention seeking and then something happened over the years and every character he plays is just a lot of scowling yeah <laughs> yeah right by the way samuel jackson did a good job yeah uh, he always does but yeah but but like i said sometimes i can get a little too much sam sometimes oh you can't you can never get too much sam i mean <laughs> snakes on a plane that's a lot of sam that's know. a lot of sam the on dude purpose. Is everywhere it's it's a little but, yeah. but i just felt like when he switched on, it was like, wow. It was a good feeling. It was yeah. like, wow, okay. And directed and written and acted as if I really felt like, oh, this is that character from yes. Unbreakable. Like, right. that's a hard thing to do to to reinvigorate a character yeah. from 18 years ago. Totally. And, Absolutely. And make it feel like, a, especially after all the other movies we've seen Samuel Ellen. That's right. Which is interesting to think about because... I wonder if Unbreakable was sort of at the beginning of his upswing. Well, he had done uh, Pulp. Sam, yeah, Pulp Fiction. And Come on he now. had done a couple. He had done Die Hard 3, right? So maybe it was like at his right at the beginning of his massive like fame. Because yeah. there was a time when Samuel L. Jackson was like hardly in anything. Yeah. Yeah. I like the cinematography, actually. Totally. I noticed. Uh, I don't know if it's M. Night or he works with. No, no, no. No. So that's one of the things I've always, even in the fucking happening. <laughs> like, I always like M. Night sh- cinematography, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's one of the... If I say, like, the top three things that he's always brought to my fucking dinner table, cinematography is one of them. The, the, those suspenseful scenes are the other ones. I wouldn't put the twists in there, even though that's what he was known for. It would be more like action sequences that are, like, 
understated but really thrilling. You know? I agree. Right. Yeah. I can't believe you saw the happening. I, I saw, saw the only. The is, only I didn't see. I, I heard it's horrible. It's it is awful. Horrible. It's awful. It's horrible. And the lady in the lake. Uh, I yes. saw a piece of it yes. and turned it off. I didn't see that. Yeah, I know. Horrible, right? Lady no, in the water, you mean? Lady in the water. Yeah, I know. I mean, I liked the village. I Everyone hated the village, but I kind of liked it. No, but I mean, the village would have been okay, but he ended up spelling out, like he does this. Someone was pointing out, one of the reviews I, I read or, or watched, he has this habit of spelling out things a little too much for the viewer. Well, because... When you're watching the village, you're like, "Well, this is M Night, and we're half an hour into this movie, and there must be a massive twist." And then your brain starts to imagine, "Well, what could it be?" And then you're like, "Oh, I, I wonder if it's this thing." And then you start picking up on the clues. If the village just came out and you didn't know as M Night, I'm guessing it would have had a better effect. And, and that lives. might be true. But even in this movie, he did this thing with, like, when the doctor starts, like, "Oh, he used the basement so that he would be watched." And it's like. You don't need to tell us this. We get it. Like, <laughs> calm down. The happening was the one with Marky Mark, right? Yeah. That was, see, M. Night, I would amend this and say that he is not just famous for the twist, but he's famous for fucking up the twist, you know? And the writing, he'll have a solid yeah. concept that'll sort of lose its cohesion at the at the end. Is it, though? Like, what were the good twists? Like, well, okay, so the happening was a really cool concept because essentially uh, plants, as a reaction to being overpopulated by humans... Uh, release this toxin that's a protective thing that get, that takes away humans' survival instincts. Bird so, so everybody essentially becomes suicidal. Is yeah. that the plot for bird bags? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So you have people like stick... Like, I remember there's really disturbing scenes like a guy sticking his hand in a lawnmower and chopping yeah, off yeah. his arm just to see what it would do. Yeah, yeah. Like imagine if you took away all your survival instinct and I was like, oh, I wonder if I'd chop myself in the face. What would that right. be like? Yeah, that, so the beginning cool, of it is is neat because they're yeah, doing that, right? But, yeah, but then it sort of unravels at the end, and it's a twist, but it, it's confusing and kind of well, well. But the twist isn't even a twist because like they start telegraphing from like the first third third of the movie, like ah, uh, wonder if it's some environmental factor, and then halfway through they're like looking, and the trees are always rustling. So by the time they're like, I think it's the trees, like yeah, it's the fucking trees. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because... You deserve it. Yeah, you do.